This episode of Inside the Goblin Universe brought to you by BRE Promotions. Whether you're just starting out or evolving your brand, BRE Promotions offers you expertly crafted disruptions that'll take you to the next level. BRE Promotions, we make your business shine. Visit us at brepromotions.com to schedule your free consultation. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I'm an author, researcher, and investigator in the paranormal, ufology, cryptids, unexplained phenomena, body, mind, spirit, you name it. If it comes to the unexplained, I'm in it. I have nearly 70 books in print. You can see the uh, uh, latest of my uh, publications at visionarylivingpublishing.com. And right now, you're listening to The Goblin Universe. Hello again, folks, and welcome to another edition of Inside the Goblin Universe. I am one of your hosts. My name is Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden. Welcome, Brian, Inside the Goblin Universe. Today, I am excited, and, and this is one of the times that I really don't want to do any kind of uh, banter beforehand, because our guest is certainly going to take up more than an hour, but that's the only amount of time that we have allotted for this lady. So I think without further ado, we should just jump in and start questioning this lady. How about you? <laughs> I'm with you 100% on this one, and I've got a lot of questions, and if you don't mind, I'm going to start off, but go ahead, introduce, I mean, she's fantastic. So. Right, you know what, I, I think uh, as far as the world of the paranormal goes, uh, the best analogy would be that she is to the paranormal what uh, Dame Helen Mirren is to the stage and screen. It is none other than Rosemary, uh, Rosemary Allen Guiley. Sorry about that. See, I had everything prepared here, Rosemary, just <laughs> put you in right here like this, give you the red carpet treatment, and I happen to uh, uh, skip over your first name there. I apologize for that. But uh, so, Rosemary, welcome to the show, my dear. Well, thank you. I've been looking forward to it, and uh, we've we've all met up in various places and times <laughs> in our research and inquiries into all of these um, unexplained events, phenomena, uh, things that go on in alternate realities that wind up expanding people's worldviews, and so um, it's it's a very interesting line of research to be in. Uh, it absolutely is, and that would lead me to my very first question: Is what uh, got you started in such a field? Let, let me let me put it this way: What is your educational background? Because obviously, you're a well-educated woman. Um, give me a little bit of uh, information about your background and how you turned to this wonderful world of the paranormal. You know, I've been fascinated by these things since I was a kid, and I, I like to joke that I came out of the womb with a manuscript in mid-progress, because <laughs> I, I think that I was meant to be a writer in this life, and uh, uh, also to explore the unknown. And from a very early age, I was fascinated with uh, astronomy, science fiction, the paranormal, horror. I was a voracious reader. And my personal interests eventually became my uh, professional uh, pursuit. Now, my educational background is in writing. I have a degree in journalism from the University of Washington in Seattle. And before I ventured out uh, to become self-employed on my own, I had a variety of jobs in the writing field. I was a newspaper reporter, a wire service editor, um, a trade magazine editor, and my last salary job was for IBM as an internal publications 
editor. And um, people told me I was crazy to quit that job. I would starve. Uh, I would live in a garret eating beans out of a can. Writers couldn't make it. Uh, and I knew that when I landed my first book contract, I knew that this was my destiny. And uh, I had to pursue it, and I had to pursue it full time. So uh, I departed IBM, and I never looked back, and I was never regretful for making that decision. And, wow. and we are actually thankful that you made that decision because the books that you put out, this information you put out, is, is, bar, is the level. It is the benchmark. And that's my personal opinion. Uh, actually, I think it's uh, a lot of people I talk to in this industry's opinion. You really are the benchmark because you, it's so thorough, it's so accurate, and the way it's delivered is, is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Every book that I've ever written, I, I have uh, parenthetically documented you in some way uh, because your research is simply invaluable. And it, I'm, I'm not talking about just in the world of the paranormal. I'm talking about the way that we look at the world as, you know, sociologically, linguistically, um, anthropologically. There's a lot of different things that go on here. And that's another thing, Rosemary. A lot of people pigeonhole uh, writers as either paranormal or, you know, this kind of occultic type of writers. But there really is a, um, uh, some writers, such as yourself, transcends this particular genre. And you can apply this kind of knowledge to uh, a lot of different subjects. And I, I wished academia would look at the paranormal in this way rather than just pigeonholing it or looking at it through a very narrow worldview and kind of open up and take a look around and see what these things mean, these archetypes, this this knowledge of, you know, of what was called magic that has become science. All these different things that have taken place that shapes the human race the way we think today has really been relegated to the back burner because you're talking about ghosts or, or wild men or you know fairies or what have you. And I think that there should be a serious inquiry from the scientific community in why we as a human race need these things in our lives. Well, it is a shame that uh, in today's climate, academe and science are... Um, they're almost opposed to these topics uh, because they don't fit into uh, neat little scientific paradigms and what we know through the five senses. Yet our predecessors in earlier times <coughs> were very happy to embrace the unknown. Uh, the Renaissance uh, explorer, for example, the alchemist, uh, who knew about math and science and also astrology and medicine and history. Uh, all of those things were mixed into uh, the learned educa education. And today things are, are very separated. And yet uh, it, it really came home to me in a very powerful way when I was doing all of these encyclopedias, which um, I don't do encyclopedias anymore. Um, not that I didn't want to do them anymore, but uh, I really wanted to do shorter books where I could talk about more about my own research and my own opinions. But to do all these encyclopedias, uh, I did Ghosts and Spirits, Demons and Demonology, Magic and Alchemy, which is in Witchcraft, uh, Dreams, Saints, uh, and an Atlas of the Mysterious. Um, all in all, eight or nine uh, really solid single-volume reference works, Harper's Encyclopedia of Mystical uh, Experiences, that required a very broad approach to the research. I wasn't just looking at 
uh, paranormal sources. Uh, to talk about the topics in all of these encyclopedias, I had to research history, sociology, anthropology, psychology, science. All of these things played into um, these encyclopedias. Those are our roots. And yet, uh, you know, we still find uh, the paranormal um, and all other related topics. When I say the paranormal, I'm bringing in ufology and the cryptids and uh, metaphysics as well. Um, they're, they're relegated to this fringe. Um, and um, the establishment doesn't quite know what to do with the fringe. It's so dependent upon subjective experience, and subjective experience doesn't fit the neat little um, round holes with square pegs that they all want to play with in terms of explaining reality. But I do believe that that is shifting slowly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, now, would ever get to the point of, like, you know, Paracelsus, the, the father of tox toxicology, would ever get to that point, do you think, wherever somebody could be a man of, you know, science, a man of letters, um, and still be able to talk about these kind of things with not being considered a crackpot? I believe that day will come again. And for several years now, I have uh, advocated people in the field, investigators in the field. I said, you know, you really can't afford to limit yourself to one particular field of inquiry. You can certainly specialize in something and maybe spend most of your time in it, whatever excites you the most. But if you're really going to be an effective researcher and investigator, you have to be a Renaissance man or woman. Uh, you have to have a good broad base of, of knowledge, working knowledge in a lot of different fields. And that's going to come from the traditional fields as well as the, uh, what we would call the fringe fields. Uh, and now that we have uh, you know, science trying to figure out what consciousness is and that uh, there's a quantum reality out there that is very responsive to conscious, consciousness in terms of what we experience and how we experience it, uh, it seems like uh, there's an increase in merging of these, these different streams of thought. Uh, certainly, some fields have fared better than others. For example, the near-death experience field uh, has attracted a lot of scientific and academic interest. The paranormal is, is still uh, the arena of the ghost hunter, uh, considered to be an amateur occupation uh, with, with no really strict protocols to it. Um, the entire field of, of ufology has struggled for respectability for decades and has never been able to get it. Uh, and, and yet, um, the material that's available in all of these fields is so rich in terms of uh, how we are experiencing reality, things that ancient people took for granted uh, because um, Ancient writings are full of dreams and visionary experiences that are extensions of waking reality. It, it was considered normal, uh, not unusual, not hallucinatory. And today, we, the first thing we do to eyewitnesses is we want to know, well, were you drinking? Were you high? Uh, <laughs> you know, are you crazy? Uh, are you on meds? Right, which is yeah. why so few people come forward. That's absolutely the case. Uh, very, very true. Yep. And, you know, earlier this year, I published a book with uh, one of my co-authors, Michael Bryan, called The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness. And this is a collection of very powerful first-person accounts 
of sightings of lights, craft, encounters with aliens, missing time, men in black. Uh, and then we, we provide some historical context to all of these experiences with commentaries. And that book rocketed into a, best, a category bestseller almost immediately. People are hungry for this kind of information. Yep. And why? Because the, when people come forward with their experiences, <clears throat> they validate things for other people, people who do not come forward. Um, and it, it's really a shame that the experiencers get uh, immediately uh, debunked, denounced, and ridiculed um, because they've, they've had experiences that if you look at history, human beings have been having these kinds of experiences for thousands of years. Yep. Yeah. Um, quick question, you know, one of the reasons why I, I, I myself started to do something publicly in this realm, and we started a, a, a monthly meeting, uh, another meeting that we went to kind of dis disappeared and dissolved, so we started the um, New York State UFO Project. And what we do there, it's not just UFOs, mind you, and we say that in, in, our, in our information, in our, our, our opening to everybody, uh, everything's interconnected. And we tried to explain this um, through a lot of discussion, but we want to bring to the forefront the, the story of, of the, the people that are seeing this. We want people to have a place to go to where they feel comfortable to, to you know, discuss this. And I think this is what needs to you know, take place. The ridicule is slowly fading to, to the side. Thankfully, I think to noetic science. I don't, I don't know if you're, you're probably uh, familiar with you know, this is where all the consciousness is coming in from. Uh, does the soul have weight? Um, which I think they, they discovered after uh, someone passed. They literally saw immediately the shifting the weight scale on the beds um, did change the, the weight number there. Um, so right. it's very interesting. And I love the way you said this because you do have to be a person of all trades. I hate being politically correct, um, and I apologize. It's, it's, it's not that I want to hurt anybody. I just think we should be able to freely speak without being stopped. Um, this is where you get the thought from. But we do, you do have to be a person of all trades. You have to know a lot about a lot of things. Um, and I agree. Uh, I think it's wonderful that you, you know, this is how you, you know, your book has come off, basically telling people, all this information? Well, you know, I had experiences early in my writing career, uh, and um, uh, I was very fortunate. I've been published by just about every major publishing house in the uh, English-speaking world and with many translations, too. And uh, being very prolific, I wrote for a number of big houses, and it was always a, a case of, well, what are you going to do for us next? And some of my editors told me that I needed to specialize. I should pick a topic and become the expert in that topic. And I was spreading myself too thin by taking on too many topics. And, and for me, um, being the curious Georgette, so to speak, um, and, uh, you know, sorry to mix metaphors here, but a Jill <laughs> of all trades, um, I couldn't see it that way because I, I could see from the get-go. And my friend John Keel was the same way. All of these things are interconnected, and you can't uh, ignore one uh, to focus on the other because then you're not going to have a, a very good understanding of, of what you are focusing on. And this gets back to the whole idea of the Renaissance man and woman, that, uh, okay, you don't have to be an expert in everything, but you need to have an understanding of 
uh, what I call a working knowledge. You need to have a working knowledge of the related fields uh, and how they, how all of these things are interconnected, because that's the only way we're going to get the big picture. And um, you know, Valet said uh, the same thing decades ago. Keel said it and uh, got jumped on as a, a crackpot and a fanatic. Uh, and and yet, it's it's bearing out now. It's really yeah. bearing out that um, if you're in ufology, you can't ignore uh, cryptids and, and Bigfoot. If you're in the paranormal, you can't ignore UFOs. Uh, and if you're in near-death experience, you, you can't ignore um, ETs because there's an overlap there. Uh, you can't ignore um, contact with the dead. Right. Um, right. And that's so many overlaps, well, and that's how we have to approach this. I, you know what? I, I have to go in this direction, if you don't mind, Ron. Um, and seeing the date that we're doing this, and, and we're... Uh, recording this actually everybody um, because everybody has different schedules and we want to bring you the best of the best and Rosemary is the best and the being the day that it is and tomorrow being Ramadan I will be remiss if I did not ask you how the jinn are <laughs> because <laughs> well, that's, that's uh, the jinn uh, have yeah. uh, been a very interesting subject of study now for a good number of years I started um, examining them in earnest around 2004 uh, they've given me a lot of problems over the years because they don't like people um, looking into their activities. Their name means the hidden ones, and uh, they like to be in the shadows, literally. They don't want people to know what, what all they're up to. But uh, I do believe that they play very prominent roles in all of our experiences. And um, many of the um, Middle Eastern experts that I've consulted on the topic um, have told me that the jinn account for everything. It's um, angels, the jinn, and us. And the jinn are shapeshifters, and they just figure out what human beings are fascinated by or afraid of, usually. And uh, they play around with us that way. And that, that, to me, is a very disturbing view, uh, cosmic view here, because it's hard to, to accept the idea that maybe there's only three of us in our slice of multiverse. Uh, and I don't know if that's true. Um, but I will say that the deeper I have gone into Jin territory, the more I see how all roads lead back to the Jin in some way or another. Now, right. maybe they, being shapeshifters, um, they just mimic what all is out there in the unexplained uh, alternate realities uh, as a way of participating uh, in them and having interactions with human beings. So um, they are one of the great mysteries, and uh, I think that uh, they deserve a lot more attention from Western researchers. They never really made it very well into our mythology beyond uh, I Dream of Genie in a Bottle, uh, and yet they're very formidable. They're intelligent, they're formidable, they're shapeshifters, and they are out there. Well, what I loved, I loved about your book, The Jinn uh, Jin Connection, The Hidden Links Between the Jinn, Shadow People, E.T.'s Nephilim, Angors, uh, reptilians, and other entities. I mean, this is the, this is what you were saying prior to me asking you that question. That this is all interrelated and all connected. And and it's it's. I it really is. wish that some of these experts and I put quotes up would actually realize that. Um, I don't. I I think your publishers, your editors, were speaking on an editorial and and an ill-informed view of of what's going on. 
They're doing their job, mind you, but they didn't know that this is all connected. I can't just focus on uh, Nephilim or whatever. So uh, right. thank you, thank you for making that that, that clear, decisive choice of, of 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 being so diverse. Right. Well, and the idea too, whenever we talk about the jinn, not only is this part of the Islamic culture, but it's also part of the Christian culture, the Judaic tradition. Um, you know, these things crop up sometimes under different names, but by extension, if you would c continue across the world map, um, the jinn simply go by different names in different cultures, don't they? I mean, a lot of the jinn activities that we see would happen in, in the Middle East could also be very similar to fairy activity that you see in the British Isles. So the idea of this primordial nature energy that is out there really transcends all cultures and all languages. It does, and that's, that's another overlap that doesn't get enough attention. Uh, now, when uh, I was working on the Jinn connection, <clears throat> and I, I made the connection between the Jinn and ETs via shadow people, uh, when, I, when I came to the conclusion that shadow people are a form taken by Jinn, a lot of things started to fall into place, a lot of questions I had about all kinds of things. Um, and um, it was a breadcrumb trail that led me from... Uh, one uh, field of inquiry to another, and if you if you're really serious about researching this stuff, you you have to follow the evidence. You you can't have your foregone conclusions and then try and fit the evidence to support that and ignore everything else, which is what I find all the time. When I went to the ufology community to ask them about shadow people, the presence of shadow people, especially in abductions, um, I was routinely dismissed with the exception of Ann Druffel, who, who uh, was very knowledgeable about the jinn. She had never really um, studied them too deeply in terms of the abduction phenomenon, but she understood the jinn. And uh, people like Bud Hopkins and other abduction researchers just poo-pooed the whole thing, poo-pooed the presence yep. of shadow people, unimportant, paranormal stuff was unimportant, um, the jinn, who cares, but back in the 70s, um, Gordon Creighton, was, uh, who was the uh, publisher and editor of Flying Saucer Review in England, passed on now, um, back in the 70s, he was making statements in his magazine that ufologists would really understand what was going on if they uh, realized that the jinn were involved. And... You know, it just breezed right over people's heads. And a lot of it is because the jinn are not part of our mythology. With the exactly. Arabian yep. Nights genies. That's right. Uh, and, and yet we talk about them all the time uh, under these other names, you know, just, just as you've mentioned. Um, and so uh, part of my purpose with the jinn research was, it was to, you know, bring something to researchers' attention, broaden an understanding. This is something that um, needs to have a line of inquiry uh, established. And uh, I am happy to see uh, an expanded awareness uh, of the gin. It does come at a price because, um, as I mentioned, they don't like people poking into their <laughs> corners. And uh, they will pester people. Uh, they will pester people sometimes mightily if um, uh, they start to get too inquisitive about them. And uh, that's 
um, a very powerful disincentive for a lot of researchers. Wait, can I ask you, um, you have a, a, the guide to uh, psychic protection, and I think, uh, how, does, how does that play into psychic protection or psychic ability for people um, and, and protecting yourself from the jinn uh, who pester people? Um, that may think it's more of a psychic thing and not realize it is the jinn. Uh, well, there's there's all kinds of things that can breach our defenses, and uh, I make the point in Guide to Psychic Protection, which just came out, that uh, we're more likely to have problems from toxic people than hostile entities. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say amen to that. people are uh, out, uh, and I would say that when I do workshops on psychic protection, um, a good chunk of my uh, crowd are there because they're having problems in the workplace where they are forced on, on a daily basis for the work week to be in the presence or to have to interact with somebody who is a toxic person. And uh, these people are, uh, sometimes they deliberately psychic attack people and sometimes they, just by their demeanor and the fact that they, they are walking um, you know, hostility generators, uh, they can also perpetrate psychic attack on people. So there are all kinds of different levels, but the point I make in the book is that, uh, and I talk about things like amulets and body postures and visualizations and, uh, you know, topical remedies, which all have effectiveness, but the number one thing that is your first and final line of defense is your aura. It's your energy field, and uh, when people get their energy field breached for a variety of reasons, that's when they start having problems. They could be weak-willed. Uh, they could be um, going through a lot of physical or emotional issues that uh, create rips and tears in the aura. And uh, for years now, uh, I've been a meditator my whole life, and my whole adult life, rather, and I have always advocated that, uh, that, especially if you're going to go into any of these areas, whether it's the paranormal, body, mind, spirit, cryptids, whatever, the best thing you can do for yourself to protect yourself against intrusion by anything unwanted is to meditate every day because it's like going to the psychic gym and pumping uh, energy iron. Uh, you have to have a good energy field because um, toxic people and toxic entities have to get through that energy field to have an effect on you. And we have different layers to the aura that are susceptible to things, like our thoughts can be susceptible, our emotions, our spiritual body, our physical body. And uh, if you have um, a, a strong spiritual underpinning, doesn't matter what it is, what religion, what spiritual faith you want to follow, as long as it's meaningful to you and it's the underpinning to your life and you put some energy into building up your aura, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of problems from assault. Right. Uh, and um, I, I really do get tired of some of these TV shows, shows and ghost hunts where you know people do the floppy tuna act and... Um, oh my God, it's after me, it's choking me. Well, yeah. you shouldn't be there if you are that susceptible to uh, some sort of negative energy floating around, which is not to say that even people with strong defenses can't have problems. The jinn have a way of wiggling through a lot of cracks. And, uh, and, and yet I find that the sovereignty, the sovereignty of self, that line drawn in the sand that says, this is my space, 
my right to self-determination and free will, and nobody, no entity, no spirit, no person has the right to violate that boundary, um, you're going to be much more well-protected uh, than uh, if you are, um, if you have no spiritual underpinning, if you have, um, uh, if you're very susceptible to uh, the influences of other people. Uh, so that's one of the big messages of Guide to Psychic Protection, and I talk quite a bit about it in the book. Oh, I'm definitely going out and getting that, and now when I sit there and close my eyes on the floor, I can just tell my wife I'm meditating. I'm getting stronger. <laughs> I'm working out, honey. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm working out, honey. People, people have such a crazy idea about meditation that they think that you've no. got to be some yogi and you know sit in a lotus position for hours <laughs> on end. You don't have to do that. No. Uh, yeah. There are forms of meditation very well suited for the Western mind and the Western lifestyle that with just a few minutes a day of focusing uh, in certain ways and uh, even with the help of guided meditations and whatnot, uh, that you can accomplish a great deal. So uh, it, it really does wonders for you. And I do want to just quickly share a little story from my energy healing that really hammered this point home to me. Um, Years ago, I started uh, doing a lot of energy healing training, not because I wanted to be an energy healer, but I wanted to understand more about the energy field. Uh, I wanted to sharpen up my clairvoyance, uh, and energy healing will help you do that. It's, it's like Psychic 101. If you go out and take a Reiki class, for example, you're going to learn how energy moves through your body, it moves through the environment, how it affects you, how you see it and how you see it uh, in other people in the environment. And so uh, I did a a lot of training with um, uh, different teachers, including uh, a very well-respected, internationally renowned teacher in Washington, D.C., by the name of Miatek Werkus. And um, at the end of one of our uh, training modules, he went around the entire class and read our auras and told us where we needed to be balanced and what we needed to do. So he, he comes around to me and he looks at me and I'm, you know, I'm just waiting for like bad news, you know, like you know, where all my shortcomings are, <laughs> my energy field. And he looks at me and says, do you meditate? And I said, yes, I've meditated most of my life. And he said, well, it shows. And that's all he said to me and he moved on to the next student. And I thought, oh, my God, That's it great. really does work. Even when you think it's not working, when you, it seems like you can't possibly focus on anything, you are doing something to your energy field that it shows. And uh, I got further reinforcement from that in the class, you know, uh, that it, it doesn't make, you know, it's, you're not invincible, but it has a beneficial effect, and it's cumulative. And I was the only person that he said that to in the entire class. Well, you're going to get an A. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's a shame that Western medicine doesn't approach this kind of holistic uh, treatment of the the body, of of disease, the mind-body-spirit connection. Uh, They look at it just as something singular to be treated, for the most part. I mean, there are some doctors out there that have a more of an open mind. But I think that even if you mention the subject of God around medical professionals now, you get a little bit of the darting of the eyes. What has happened? uh, uh, What has happened there, Rosemary? Why has science 
so quickly thrown God out of the equation? Why is that not, why is that a superstition now? Why is that a, a vital part of who we are as human beings? I think there are a couple of things going on, and one is uh, we've got the Aristotelian mindset uh, in steroids, uh, thanks to the, the age of reason where all that alchemical stuff and magic and the occult got thrown out uh, in favor of a mechanistic universe. And uh, that led to the age of reason and that uh, going back to the old Aristotelian theory that everything in reality can be explained through the five senses. And if it can't be explained through the five senses, then it isn't real, it doesn't exist. Um, And that's been a big part of the problem. When it comes to the medical industry, uh, they've been so beaten to a pulp by uh, the legal industry and by the insurance industry that these people don't have any wiggle room to move in. Uh, You know, the threat of some sort of malpractice lawsuit, you know, if they don't inform you of every possible thing that could go wrong with you and your treatment or surgery or whatever, um, they have to give you these worst possible scenarios, which is the last thing a patient needs to hear, um, to protect themselves legally. Uh, and then they've got, they've got to go through this massive amount of uh, paperwork with, with the insurance industry. And, you know, it's, it's no wonder that they don't want to get into something that... Um, is a little further afield, like alternative healing. Uh, I mean, thankfully, there are some physicians who who take the time to to be at least versed in it. But the average doctor just is in a straitjacket. That's my opinion. And, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it's a shame. It's it's really a shame when you go to see an Eastern practitioner, like an acupuncturist you get a whole different holistic approach to what your health issues are. They want to know what your dreams are like, how, what's going on with you emotionally, um, your relationships. They're taking all this information in and looking at you from a more holistic perspective to see how the body is out of balance. And uh, there needs to be a better marriage between the two. I'm certainly not saying that Western medicine is, is all wrong because... Uh, we have wonder, wonderful advances in medicine, uh, and there are people who, whose lives have been saved and improved because of that. But we've got this gulf between these two approaches, and it would be nice to see that gulf uh, eliminated. Yeah. I would love to see it. Hopefully that happens within our lifetime. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny. I, I know, remember going through all the insurance, not this year or last year, but a couple of years ago, and I noticed that uh, one of the companies in uh, Oxford or something, they started uh, uh, paying for more Western, uh, uh, Eastern type of medicine. Um, they'd pay for um, acupuncture, acupressure, and other uh, meditations, some, even yoga, um, breathing exercises. It, it's, it's very... You know, if you if you take these philosophies and you actually start practicing them, um, and you don't think it's crazy, just just try it. I, I recommend how people you try it. You'll you'll see how quickly you can actually reverse a lot of the stress in your life. Um, be able to deal with a lot of stress in your life. There's a lot of science behind this, and I know a, a bunch of newer doctors coming into the scene that are are actually trying to mix Western and Eastern philosophy. But um, one of the things that I was focusing on, and Ron and I have been trying to do this 
this year is um, positive thinking. Um, how do you? How does you think this plays in in this in this entire uh, entire paranormal genre world? Uh, well, I, I'm a firm believer in it, and I think that uh, we we certainly have demonstrations on a daily basis how much thought creates reality, and we do not give this enough credit. Yes, it yet it is an underpinning to every metaphysical and spiritual tradition and philosophy out there. Thought creates reality. And the projection of our thought and consciousness uh, creates and influences what we experience. And that, that uh, goes for alternate realities as well. I mean, just look at things like Slender Man uh, and uh, the Snallygaster and, and uh, all the other <laughs> things that supposedly were picked up out of somebody's imagination and right. wind up becoming real because people believe in them and they project their consciousness uh, out into reality and that reality gets reflected back. So how we think uh, is going to determine the state of our reality. And I think that we are in a very... Um, I want to say even a dangerous position now because we have global mind. We through the internet, twenty four seven media, uh, social media. We have global mind, and this is unprecedented in human history. Uh, united consciousness is a powerful force for for physical change, and. Uh, that force is manipulated every day in social media and on the Internet through algorithms and people with various agendas to play. And the biggest manipulator of all is fear. And if you keep people angry and fearful, uh, then they are much more uh, susceptible to manipulation, and that creates a very negative environment. If people are projecting uh, positive, self-confident, independent thought uh, and they understand that they can influence reality uh, with the condition of their thought, uh, then these fear mongers have, have no game to play. Uh, but we're asleep at the wheel. Uh, yep. We're um, practically physically, surgically connected to our cell phones. <laughs> Can't stay away from them for more than 10 seconds at a time, especially the younger generations. Everybody's busy playing games, texting, uh, looking up things that they want to know in that particular instance. Uh, and we're making ourselves susceptible to uh, very subtle and very powerful influences. And uh, this is a force that can swing. We, we're at a crux. Right. It can swing either way. It can either go to the negative, which is not going to be very good for the future of humanity, or it can swing to the positive where human beings uh, have a better chance of realizing what their spiritual destiny was from the get-go. Uh, I think that um, it, human beings were brought into being, created, however you want to look at it, with a, a tremendous spiritual destiny. Uh, and we, 
we realize that destiny through our choices. And right now, a lot of us are not making very good choices with, with the way we are projecting our thoughts. Uh, th that's true. And there's a lot of mainstream uh, research done on the idea that humans are actually hardwired in our DNA to believe in a higher power, which is extremely interesting whenever you break it down into, you know, uh, subatomic sub sub particles and things of that nature that we already have an understanding that there is something there beyond us. You know, and if this shows up from the very early time whenever Neanderthals were, you know, burying their dead with the hopes of an afterlife in the way that they were, were burying their, uh, their loved ones with grave goods. So I think if we start looking to the past, that really does open up a key to the future that I, I think a lot of people don't realize. Whenever you talked about the reality of the mind, you know, Rene Descartes said about uh, this whole idea of Cartesian the uh, theater of the mind, where what we can imagine can actually be, and you know, by extension, that was also how magic was related to the world in the medieval period, that you can somehow conjure within yourself, project it onto the world at large. You know, all of this stuff has been thought about by very great writers. Whenever we think of Rene Descartes, you know, we're not so soon to, to cast him aside and say that he does not know what he's talking about. Um, the same way whenever you said about this, uh, uh, you know, so much is dependent upon Aristotle. It's a shame that we threw Plato out with the bathwater too because he had a lot of other things to say on the flip side of that and uh, we're not taking that into consideration either. Well, that's right, but uh, I, I do have hope that things will, the pendulum will swing back, uh, and what also is going on right now is that um, all of this attention that's devoted uh, now for decades, uh, since I would say the mid-20th century, you know, modern era, uh, on alternate realities and unexplained phenomena and extraordinary experience, um, this focused attention in turn changes people's consciousness and it opens it and expands it even more. So the more we talk about these experiences, the more we are likely to have them. The more we are likely to have them, the more that's going to change our worldview and it's going to change physical reality. And uh, for several years now, I've been talking about a concept that I've been developing called Transreality Earth, uh, where what is now alternate reality becomes part of daily reality. And in many respects, this was the reality of, of the ancients. Uh, you know, they, they lived um, in uh, close comfort with uh, visionary experience and with uh, dreamlike realities. And uh, when you examine some of the ancient terms for visions and dreams and, and real events, you find that, you know, there's a lot of vagueness there in terms of how do you separate one from the other. And I think that's where we're headed back to. But now we've got this added element of global mind, uh, and that's a very powerful force that's going to swing physical reality uh, in... Um, very marked directions if, if it's manipulated to uh, a high enough degree. And, of course, uh, you know, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi nailed it, you know, a long time ago when he said, well, if you have enough people in the world uh, joining mentally on a common goal, um, transcendental meditation days, for example, then you affect 
physical reality. And um, there were a number of experiments carried out. Um, I know some were carried out in the 80s uh, where they attempted to show that things like weather could be altered, crime rates, medical emergencies, you know, things like that. The problem is the data, uh, you know, it's, it's, you have no control, really. You have no control pool of, of uh, data to work with, and so you're working with a lot of subjective sorts of things. Yeah. But the idea is there, that if we unite toward a common goal, things change. Well, they have these supercomputers that are around the world, and they notice that um, certain things, t uh, as, as I guess they're, they're monitoring the traffic and the chatter going on, and they notice that an event, times of, of global events or something serious, uh, things start, they, they can see it ramping up. It, you can almost uh, chart it, um, which is very, very interesting. But they also, they did, I think, that experiment based on um, the chanting that, that uh, the monks used to do, all focusing positively on uh, sending out positive love and light. And, or when you pray over somebody in the hospital or you get more than one people or 10 or 1,000 people to pray, it does seem to have an effect. And that's the global mind you're talking about. The only problem is we have so many young kids today, this global mind is uh, ADHA. You know, it's it, it, ADD, I mean. It, it's just a 30-second mind and and then whatever their master is will focus in on drifting them to a different direction. I don't think people are have the, the strength, um, younger generation, and I don't want to sound too old, to actually um, get into the, you know, the mindset, the proper mindset. Uh, it is worrisome, frankly, because uh, the attention span is very short. And there's also the attitude that um, they don't really need to learn anything because if they need to know something, they'll yep. just look it up on the Internet. Oh, um, yes. yes. Um, you know, so there's what no I, uh, need to study yeah. anything or learn anything or, or become absorbed by anything. And I, <laughs> I'm actually a teacher. And if you can believe this, and I'm sure that you can, there have been times whenever I was getting together with lesson plannings with other teachers, and they had to look up what was on the subject uh, for the uh, next day because they simply did not know have any working knowledge of it and that that is a part of academia as well too I mean I, of course at the high school level we're not talking so much at the college level but we are raising people to um, be uh, instructed to take tests you know we're very good test takers yeah. but we're not very good at making up our own mind and looking outside of the box getting back to my my buddy plato we're very good at seeing shadows on the wall but we're not very good at turning around and seeing what's making those shadows oh that's a very good observation yep. and uh, um yes so w we have a lot of positive things going for us but with, there's a very strong negative undertow as well and it's uh, up to each of us individually to decide where we're going to throw our weight to become aware of these things and how are we going to respond to all of these influences and uh, put our individual effort uh, in a certain direction. And uh, it's causing a lot of chaos and tumult. I think this is going to go on for some time, maybe even get worse uh, before it shakes out. But the future of humanity really does hang in the balance yeah you know it, it's it's we have about nine minutes left to, to our show tonight um i'm sorry it's going really fast but um one of the things that 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 you know i'm finding is that all of this 
is a, again it, it brings it back to the paranormal on end of the spectrum you know when you think positive you kind of limit the negativity you, you don't let it thrive you don't let it grow and it, there's a lot of evil in this world if you allow it um vice versa if there's a lot of evil there is still some good there that we got that whole yin yang uh thing going on and I, i'm i'm hoping that we get to this point where people start to wake up to what's going on and they stop being controlled and they do open their mind and let it expand i think it will eliminate a lot of the negativity that we're seeing currently in every aspect of our lives one of the first things that we have to realize is how easily we are influenced by social media and uh, the supercomputers you know the random egg generators that monitor these things around the world yes they do pick up on waves of when people are focused um, on a, a certain, uh, like an event, um, and uh, when, especially when emotion is involved. And emotion is the electricity of psi. It's the electricity of all of our extraordinary experiences. There's a heavy emotional underpinning to all of these things. And so when we're emotionally engaged, uh, either in a, a happy way or a horrified way or a fearful yep. way, um, we're adding to very powerful forces in motion that then start to take shape toward an outcome. And um, I think that, um, you know, certain, this is what happens with uh, big disaster events that, um, uh, by the time people start picking up psychically uh, on with premonitions about something bad going to happen, the event's already destined to happen because the forces in motion have uh, have become so strong. Right. And uh, so we have to understand that we're putting out forces in motion all the time with all of our thoughts, our actions. A lot of these things just kind of dissipate into the ethers. You know, they don't go anywhere because they're not focused or sustained enough. But when we are focused and sustained, then uh, we add to other similar streams of energy and those forces in motion. It's like an airplane roll. Um, it's, <laughs> it's going to have to have an outcome. Uh, oh. It's going to have manifest in something well it's really funny you're talking about manifesting we're talking about the gin and we're talking about you know this this whole paranormal slash mind body spirit just want to let everybody know while that's listening out there as well as rosemary while this is happening i'm getting little things i'm, I'm in a separate room where I'm, I'm recording and i'm seeing things moving behind me and just now um i've been having a little sound problems where my my volume just shut off and then it would come back on a minute later. It would kind of shut off. So I don't know if the gin are playing a little game here. You guys are free to do whatever you want to do. <laughs> but let us finish this interview, please. Um, I think they're making their presence known. And I think it's also because when you, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, Rosemary, when you start um, talking about select things or select individuals, it's kind of like when you're thinking about somebody, the next thing you know, the phone rings. How much does that play? I mean, we have about five minutes left. How much does that play in that you know the outcome um you, you bringing this to the forefront and and what evil and good i mean it's a lot to going on but how does that play into our world oh it plays into our world quite a bit because whatever we're projecting outward through our thoughts and intentions uh sends energy signals uh out into the ethers that um other people other beings can pick up on 
and um, they respond accordingly in terms of what they're attracted to. So if you're going to put out a lot of fear and negativity and hostility, that's going to attract beings that uh, are going to amplify those things or make use of that energy. And if you're going to put out uh, more productive energy, then it attracts uh, a higher, uh, literally a higher spiritual vibration. Uh, and, uh, and people need to understand that, that, that this is a, a daily thing. Um, and this is where meditation can, can really help out. Because if you start your day with a few minutes of meditation, you're already automatically putting yourself in a more positive frame of mind and on a higher plane of thinking. And that energy can uh, go a long way to carry you past the negativity that you encounter then in the course of a day. And we could all use that, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I love it. That's words to live by. Definitely. Um, so where, where can our, our listeners, where can they get in contact with you? Where can we find you? And I, I know I'm... Uh, there's a special event coming up this Saturday. It's the Pine Bush UFO Festival slash conference, and I do believe everybody that's on this on this radio station right now, this 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 program will be there presenting. God willing, and that's fantastic. I'm going to be presenting in the evening on uh, the transformational effects of contact, of ET contact, uh, how people are transformed in positive ways uh, about contact and the elements of that. Um, my personal website is visionaryliving.com. I uh, own and run an independent publishing house called uh, Visionary Living Publishing, and that's visionarylivingpublishing.com. Uh, all of my books now come out through visionarylivingpublishing.com, and I publish other authors as well. You can see what the uh, offerings are in Body, Mind, Spirit, and uh, the Paranormal Cryptid UFO fields. Those are my... Um, areas that I'm focusing on. That's very awesome. cool. Very cool. And then after Pinebush, where else are you going to be? What other conferences are you going to be at? So we can at least let our listeners know so they can have their uh, their uh, travel itinerary planned for the next yeah, month yep. or so. Plan accordingly. <laughs> uh, two big events in June. Uh, the Wheeling Supernatural um, Conference, which is uh, the first. Uh, David Weatherly and Dave Spinks have organized this. And that's going to be in Wheeling the weekend of June 15th and 16th. And uh, the following weekend in Alton, Illinois, I'll be at Troy Taylor's annual uh, Haunted America conference. Um, I'm doing several events uh, for spirit communication for contact with the dead there. And um, that's a, a fantastic event that I've been doing for years. Uh, July, I'm in Seattle doing uh, regional events there. And uh, in August, I have two other uh, big events coming up. Uh, Hexfest in New Orleans. Oh, that sounds amazing. Nice. Magical, um, magically oriented uh, conference. Uh, Christian Day and Brian Kane put that on. End of August, uh, Michigan Paracon in uh, Sault Ste. Marie. I've been doing that for years, too. Uh, another fabulous event, and uh, the Afterlife Conference in Scottsdale, third weekend. So sorry to miss Mothman. I wish I could clone myself. <laughs> uh, one day, uh, one day you will. <laughs> the Afterlife event will be uh, pretty uh, significant. That's right, that's right. I'll actually see you in uh, Sault Ste. Marie as well, too. I'll be up there talking on a panel with uh, Linda Godfrey, uh, with uh, Lauren Coleman, and myself on cryptids. 
Oh, fantastic. That's wonderful. I'll be doing uh, Black Mirror Scrying for Contact oh. the Dead. Wow. Right. Very cool. Very cool. So a lot of stuff going on. Yes. Um, I cannot tell you how honored I am to have you on our program. Uh, you have been, uh, you know, the, the high point of everybody that I've ever, uh, I've ever interviewed so far. So thanks a lot for bringing your intelligence to our to our uh, little uh, dog and pony show here <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and really classing this place up a little bit. <laughs> a lot. Well, I really enjoyed it, Brian and Ron. Thank you so much for having me on. I think we had a great discussion uh, tonight about a lot of very important yep. topics, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, get uh, really into some meaty a conversation on on these things absolutely you're welcome to come back anytime my dear yes. anytime you feel like it well i'm uh, certain i i will excellent all right well uh, i'll tell you why <laughs> whenever you go down the rabbit hole sometimes time seems to uh leave you and that's what happened here it just seems like i started to say hello five minutes ago and already we are we are we have we have this lost time that we have to deal with now <laughs> all the but, time uh, yeah but uh so we don't go over uh nope. probably this is the best time that we sign out then my friend it it sounds good. I really don't want to leave because I always love listening to, to to you, Mary Ellen Guiley, and I, I just it's fascinating. You know, it's 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 great when you finally get somebody you kind of resonate with and who delivers it such in, in such greatness. Um, I'm tired of the dog and pony show as well. So <laughs> thank you again for coming on. Yep, but we, it is the time. Um, I guess we'll say goodbye and we'll see you on Saturday. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Bye. That's right, that's right. And to all our little goblins out there, we will see you again next week inside the Goblin Universe. Dive into the ancient mythologies found around the world and tread through nearly forgotten legends as the crypto guru Ronald Murphy sets sail on his quest for mermaids. Travel through history and wade through the vast expanses of time and space as the author seeks to uncover why these beguiling creatures are so pervasive in human culture. On Mermaids, an exploration of mermaid folklore from ancient origins to modern culture is now available at Amazon.com. And be sure to attend the lecture that accompanies this book at the Cryptozoological Conference hosted by Lauren Coleman in Portland, Maine, summer 2018.
your source for everything paranormal. Para 